Hail, hail. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome along to the Endless Selts Rewind Sunday Supplement Special. Now, if that introduction doesn't whet your appetite for the best club tournament in the world, I don't know what will. What will. But uh, welcome along, guys. And uh, my name's Anthony. I'll be in the, the host chair today, joined alongside um, our usuals, uh, Captain of the Ship, Stephen, and our resident, Michelangelo, Ross Muir. How are we today, boys? All good, all good, man. That intro was unbelievable there, like. Superb, oh, it? That, that just, like, took me back, man. Back to when the <laughs> Champions League <laughs> was, like, a bit more open to other teams rather than just the, the probably usual final six that you get. But still glad to be in it. Yeah. Those intro graphics are probably one of my favourite, like because it's it's all it's a wee bit more bland now, isn't it? They don't really have like the wee vignettes of you know players and and whatnot as, as they do now. But uh, that was one of my favourite opening title ones. I must admit, uh, it takes you back, as they say. Oh, aye. So I Ross, our first um, Sunday supplement show with a panel. All we're missing here's some croissants and uh, some Neil Ashton, <laughs> and it would just be like we're live on Sky Sports. I have <laughs> I've got the Scotsman sitting at the side of me there. <laughs> well, no, uh, no colouring was used. Like your good <laughs> self, I was out last night uh, having a few babies, so I've not made it along to the, the paper shop yet to, to go through all the front pages, so we'll uh, skip that usual. And we'd be probably getting done for copyright anyway if we did. But um, I so essentially, guys, this year we'll be competing in the Champions League group stages for the 11th time. First time in five years. So ahead of that, I just thought it'd be a good idea to take a wee trip down memory lane and look back at our um, adventures in the tournament uh, in years gone by. And uh, today is episode one, so we're going to take you right the way back to where it started, season 2001-2002, Mark Lanil's second season in charge. And uh, <coughs> it's a tale of former heroes and hoops coming back to haunt us. Dubious penalties and, of course, defeating Juventus by the odd goal in seven and what is a lot of people's favourite ever night at Celtic Park. And uh, But before we go through all that, as you were saying, uh, guys, about just, just being back in the tournament, it maybe isn't, you know, it, it doesn't whet the appetite as, as it, because it's not as open as what it used to be. Uh, I'll come to yourself first, Stephen. But there's no doubt when you see the name, uh, our name alongside a lot of the other big boys and the music hits at Celtic Park. There's no other place in the world like it, is there? Well, when the music hit in our intro, it brought tears in my eyes. Like, I don't know what was going on in this. It was so emotional. I think Ross is right and yourself, Anthony. It brings you right back. It brings me back to sitting in my uncle Noel's house and my granddad watching Champions League football and you see the likes of whoever it may be, Juventus, Barcelona, Real Madrid coming up in the titles and all the famous players. And I think you're right. The Champions League now, we all know, it's geared towards the bigger clubs. I mean, England have four spots. The Liga have like three. And it's a bit unfair. It should be for champions. And the fact that they're in it, the coefficient that we've done over the last couple of years has been fantastic to build that back up again. And hopefully it continues in that trend and we get access to the Champions League group stage going forward. But it just brings it, brings it all together. I mean, Postacoglu always says it. He wants to do better and be better. And Celtic in the Champions League is where we belong. I know some people may question if we have the squad or capabilities to compete in it, but just get the foot in the door. Finances have come with it. I know people say finances, blah, 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 but it's a part of the game now. And just being up there with the big boys at the table, it's just fantastic and I absolutely love it. Love that intro by John, by the way. Well done. 
Klaus. Oh, he's, he's some boy on the old uh, the old setup, isn't he? Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. Uh, Ross, just again ahead of this year's tournament. Um, you know, is there any anyone in particular you would fancy in the group stage? But would you, would, would you prefer a more glamorous group, or would you prefer um, ties that shall we say might be a little bit more negotiable um, that could perhaps see us advance into the latter stages? Um, I think if we didn't get a Real Madrid or a Liverpool, because eh, we've not really sorry had them in the Champions League. If we didn't get one of the two, then I would rather get a more favourable group. But I mean, Bernabeu in the Bernabeu, Celtic in the Bernabeu, and that away strip under the lights. That's that's exciting. Oh. That that would be beautiful. But I, I would love to get Real Madrid. We've had Barcelona, etc. Down the years, I would love to get somebody like that. And I've always had a soft spot for Real Madrid, so it would be nice to yeah, see yeah. my favourite team playing them. Well, that's it. I mean, it's like we've obviously we've never. It's the one kind of A-list team that we've our generation's not really seen. Obviously, but you know we played them back in 1980. Um, like the older fans will remember it as the Johnny Doyle game. You know, we won two 0 at Celtic Park, but then lost three 0 over in the Bernabeu, and obviously for fans that are even older or maybe remember when we played them in Alfredo de Stefano's testimonial the week after uh, triumphing in Lisbon. But apart from that, in the you know the sort of modern age, it's the, the one kind of big team that we've, we've not got yet. So I'm like yourself. I would, I would love to see us uh, take on Madrid, especially in that uh, fantastic new away top, as, uh, as you mentioned. But um, we'll get started, boys. We'll go back in our wee time frame, back 20 years. And... Um, Martin O'Neill had come in the year before, had transformed our fortunes. We won our first domestic treble in, in 32 years. And our reward for that was a playoff uh, tie rather than a second qualifying round tie. It was, again, back then, champions of Scotland were not automatically in the Champions League. And we were hoping for maybe a nice, easier group, uh, easier team, sorry, to, to get through to the groups. And um, But yeah, the gods, as always, um, Sean brave on us. And we got... Ajax of Amsterdam, uh, one of the biggest clubs in the world. Um, so but there was a lot of the, the sort of despondence among us thought, oh, well, UEFA Cup it is then. But Martin and the boys had other ideas and um, went over to the Ajax Arena and uh, wowed on by a fantastic support. We found ourselves two up within 20 minutes. Um, did you have to check what you were drinking at that point, Ross? Oh, God, I can remember sitting in my mate's house watching it and... You'd never seen Celtic like doing that to a team of that calibre away in Europe in your life, really. I mean, I was born in '83. I can never mind the Celtic having a result like that, and we were bouncing all over them like in total disbelief. It was a similar sort of feeling to the time when uh, we beat Rangers two 0 in the Scottish Cup quarter final at Parkhead. Malky Mackay scored. We'd, we'd scored two early goals in that game, and again we were used to not ordinarily beating Rangers and we were two up and again couldn't believe it it was a similar feeling and that was for me and I think every Celtic fan will probably agree with that that was when Celtic arrived on the European stage again and, and came back and I mean it's been peaks and troughs since then but the peaks the highs have been absolutely amazing and it's given us the, the standing uh, one of the best atmospheres in Europe, eh, and most top players either have loved playing in that atmosphere or want want to play in that atmosphere or recommend playing in that atmosphere. 
Absolutely, and uh, it was certainly the, the springboard to say the least. But Ajax, as they do, came back into it, Stephen. Shot at Arvaladze, um, a guy we got, got to knew a hell of a lot more um, just that autumn. Uh, scored, I believe it was actually his last goal for Ajax before he moved to Rangers, but he brought them back in um, just before half time. And we thought, nah, perhaps um, normal service is going to be resumed here. Martin was having none of it, and uh, Chris Sutton in probably one of his best ever games, and there was plenty to choose from, but that was right up there that night. He scored with <coughs> an absolute rocket of a diving header yeah. in the second half to make it 3-1, um, which, you know, three away goals we could never have dreamt of, and uh, stood us in good stead for the return leg. I mean, like, see, for me, that's a full disclosure for people watching. These are games I have to look back on because I was only six when these games happened. But again, history of Celtic Football Club, something I love looking at and watching and learning about. But like the games itself against Ajax, as you said, like we're never really um, kind of give a, a gift or a, a, like a, a charm to get through to a, a, a group stage competition. It's always a tough fixture, regardless of what competitions it's in. Ajax, I used to be one of the people when I was younger, looked at badges, no one on the screens when you've seen the scores go down. Ajax's badge always stood out to me and playing them, obviously. And what I loved most about the game was it was the style of play and the players who scored. Petta scored the first one. Chris Sutton puts it in the box. The keeper makes an arse of it. He puts it in the roof of the net. A Gat scored as well, Some a player I really loved. And as you said, Sutton with that diving header. But it was just great to see like Celtic winning away from home and going out to Amsterdam, as you said, with a great travel and support and thriving in the atmosphere, getting among it. The Celtic players were answering to their call and as you said Martin Lee he was the guy for me that wouldn't accept anything less than trying their best and he made Celtic into a formidable force in European football regardless if we didn't win any trophies but we competed with the best club <coughs> at that time that game against Ajax for me was fantastic and as I said like Pada a player who probably kind of gets not as much credit as he deserves in the Celtic shirt but he was brilliant underneath at the stage and a guy as well absolute flamishing he was laid on by Larson down the right hand side and he does put in the the bottom left corner. Some fantastic goals and fantastic play in that game. Sure was. And uh, it perhaps put us into a, a false start. We kind of thought, oh God, what we, what's it going to be like when we get these guys back at Parkhead? I remember um, one of the guys in the studio that night saying, oh, with a full Celtic part behind them, the return leg could be a cricket score for Celtic. Needless to say, that's not how it panned out. Um, it was a very nervy night. I remember it well. Uh, I was there with my brother and my big cousin Darren that night. And um, there was a strange image with 20 minutes to go, uh, Ajax fans battling amongst themselves over in the corner, but uh, we'll, we'll digress for that. Um, but <laughs> it was a nervy night, like I say, we didn't really create many chances, um, and Ajax you know, showed their quite good pride to get back into the game, and they actually won the match 1-0. It was Juanberto that scored um, just on the half-hour mark, it was a you know, good one-touch play, and then just dinked it over Rab, Douglas and goal. But... They didn't, to be fair, they also didn't really threaten much after that. And I think perhaps the frustration amongst their fans kind of spilled over when it became quite clear that they weren't going to break um, Celtic down and um, it was going to be us boys in the group stages. And that it was. Um, we were drawn um, in Group E um, alongside Juventus, uh, Porto, who would become familiar foes uh, in the years ahead. And uh, Rosenberg featuring XL Harold Bratback more on him later. Um, but yeah, it was uh, just an, an incredible achievement. And Martin O'Neill um, even said that he says, obviously, when the group stage happened that year, him and Henrik went out to the draw personally because Henrik had the small matter of the European Golden Boot Award uh, to pick up. So it was, uh, yeah, needless to say, a good time for all concerned. Um, our opening match was meant to be. 
um, a home leg, a leg against Rosenberg, but due to the, the 9-11 atrocity, the, the match was actually postponed. So our first fixture was a nice easy trip away over to Turin into the old Deli Alpe to face Juventus, uh, the wise old lady, um, or as some of us would call them by the end, cheating bastards. Um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Outstanding. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what can you say? But, um, you know, they've spent massive that year, Ross. Um, they brought in the likes of Buffon, Salas, Trezeguet, etc. to, you know, add to the, you know, the magnificent... They spent Del that was already there. It was a hundred uh, million. You know, it's just, it was ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think Buffon's still plenty. It's incredible, I think. Oh, and, um, but, you know, first half, we gave a good account of ourselves without, you know, overly threatening. But right on half time, Juventus took the lead through David Trezeguet. Great work for Salas. And then early in the second half, um, Trezeguet scored again a great header into the far corner, uh, giving Rav no chance. And we thought, well, you know, we're not disgracing ourselves, but there's, of course, no shame in losing to Juventus. But we did what we tended to do so much um, under Martin O'Neill. We rallied. We got a free kick um, that deflected in. Uh, Stan hit one from uh, about 20 yards that deflected past Buffon. And then we got a penalty with five minutes to go. And uh, Henrik Cooley slotted it away. Cue mad scenes uh, in the far corner. Um, you know, you were saying earlier, Ross, about you know you were just going crazy. You couldn't believe what you were seeing when we went two up against Ajax. Coming back from two goals down to look like we were going to get a point against Juventus, that must have been the stuff of dreams. Uh, again, it, it was one of the, the highs that I was talking about. You, you couldn't believe it, I'm sure. At, at some point, I think Edgar, Edgar da- David got sent off, is that right? Yeah, he got sent uh, off, uh, yeah. And that, that gave us sort of opportunity to come back into the game. And we, we actually took control of the game, uh, if memory serves me right. We got the goal, five minutes to go. You think a draw in Chirin, that is... Absolutely unbelievable. You've taken it all day long. We might even have, like, could have went on to win it, but then, I mean, Amoruso pops up and does. I, I mean, you can sort of blame him for cheating in a sense, but the referee still makes the decision. That's that's the the worst part of the whole thing. And it was absolutely, for that high, then you talk about that low, it was absolutely soul-destroying, gutting. But then you look at it on the face of it and you think to yourself, I'm sitting here absolutely gutted about Celtic not getting a point in Turin. And they only <laughs> never got a point because they got absolutely cheated off the park. And Martin O'Neill, as I've alluded to there, didn't hold back, never missed anybody. And that was one thing you love about Martin O'Neill. He just says it how it is and he doesn't miss anybody. I have to, you're absolutely bang on, Ross. I have to say, Stephen, a few years ago, um, you maybe remember Juventus were playing Real Madrid in uh, a tie in, I think it was the Champions, I think it was the quarterfinals, the semi-finals, some, some along those lines. And um, they'd, you, they'd done everything, but right in the last minute, um, Juventus, uh, they conceded a penalty. And I remember Buffon going, being absolutely screaming with rage, claiming that it'd been a dive and, you know, they claimed it'd been cheated. And I have to say, my first memory was just poetic justice. I think it might even have been the <laughs> semi-final um, because that, I think that not, would have knocked uh, Juventus out. But they, I think they went 2-0 up in the Bernabeu and they were going to uh, come back. 
but uh, Real Madrid rallied and it. Listen, it was never a penalty. It was a, it was a, it was a dive as well. But I just thought, you know, sometimes what goes around comes around. Uh, it's probably and, and listen, we're, we're not short of horrific refereeing decisions that have gone against Celtic, but that's got to be up there with one of the worst, isn't it? Aye, 100%. I mean, the, the whole, as Ross rightly said, they're moaning that you didn't get a point in Turin's a bit like, come on here. Do you know what I mean? But I think when you, when you look at the game as a whole, I mean, Trezor Gay, he was one of my favourite strikers growing up, watching him in them highlights programmes on Channel 4 and things. He was an absolute bother. Then Amaru. So it's funny that a uh, couple of players involved in Celtic's European run at the minute are actually Rangers players, aren't they? So Avalad said for Ajax and Amaruso kind of cheating to get the penalty kick. But the likes of Petrov scoring, as you said, getting a deflection and Larson getting the penalty kick. It's just competing at that stage, isn't it? Because you don't know what they expect because we're fresh into this competition. But I think when we talk about Martin Leiden, as we said, he rallies the troops and he didn't give a shit. He got suspended after that game, didn't he? Because he moaned about the, the officials and things. So... Um, he didn't care. He was there for the team. He wanted Sally to do the best. And I think we did. And you're right about Buffon. I think that was his first European game for Juventus against us at Turin. So, I mean, they get that against him with Real Madrid. A bit of karma, as you said, a bit of justice <laughs> coming to fruition there. And the fact he's 43, he's still probably trying to repay that with Parma. But I think, it, like, for me, Celtic and the Champions League have to compete against Juventus, probably one of the best club football teams at that time around. It was fantastic to see that fucking Agver Davids and the Del Piero and Trezor Gay and all the types of players. So just to see Sally on that stage for me was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I think, you know, it's quite, you know, Del Piero, he, was, he definitely would have been a contender on our World 11. Uh, a few weeks back, it was definitely one of the players that didn't quite make it. Uh, yeah, don't get him started. Four and don't a half hours. Go back to <laughs> make the final cut. Um, but yeah, it was a good, it was a good night that. But uh, we'll say no more, Stephen. I know you took a bit of stick that night, but uh, I did. I, took a lot of we'll stick. swiftly move on. <laughs> uh, so our first ever home leg uh, in the Champions League took place uh, a week later um, at home against the soon-to-be regular opponent FC Porto. Uh, Ross and uh, a good pal Tom McGinn who's watching. There's a, a bit of uh, uh, facts for you. Rab Douglas, Bobo Baldi, Johan Yalbe, Jos Valharn, Didi Agat, Neil Lennon, Paul Lambert, Stan Petrov, Bobby Petter, Chris Sutton and Henrik Larsson. That was the first home Champions League team uh, to ever uh, to the group stage. And uh, we came away with a one-goal advantage despite having Martin up in the stands. Uh, and that was the, the night, you know, it was a summer corner kick. And Henrik, instinctive as it was when the ball came loose, he stuck out his foot and uh, it was too strong uh, for Vita Baia to keep out. Um, Porto came back into it and kind of dominated the second half, but we were off and running. Um, and after two games with three points on the board, not too bad at all. Are you talking to me, Anthony? I can't, there's there's <laughs> some sort of sound coming through. I can't, I can't hear you right. Right, I saw a jumpy in that. Uh, I, I, I got the, I got the gist that you're talking about the Porto game. Um, I, I was at uh, all the home home ties in uh, that campaign, and I have to admit, I had to look back at the games because I had very hazy memory. Of it. But um, I at Celtic at home. I mean, obviously that was the first game, so you didn't know at the time, but they were like a really dominant side at home uh, in the Champions League at that time. 
I just think it's because they were so big, and then the fan, the kind of like a big team, big physical team, and the European teams just weren't quite used to it, and they couldn't between that and the crowd behind them, they they just couldn't handle Celtic, and they, they were like they were a a strong team defensively, and teams like I don't think Celtic absolutely dominated teams and played them off the park, mm-hmm. uh, but. They were strong defensively and teams just couldn't break them down. Ajax found that out, then Porto found it out. And I it was just it was a, a really good win and it got us off and running. It sure did. And that was one of the, the, the great things about it. Um Stephen Ross alluded to it there. It sort of became the, the template for the, the European atmosphere at Celtic Park on a Champions League night. It's uh, you know, the legend was kind of born that night and it still exists to this day. Celtic Park on a European night, nothing even comes close to it, doesn't it? No, you're 100%. The atmosphere still exists, but the fortress that Martin O'Neill built and managers after him have kind of gone away. There's teams that come to Celtic Park now, get results, they're like, what's going on? But back then, we were absolutely fantastic at home. And I think the, the defence was a big part of that. You had Phil Heron, you had Mialbi, you had Bobo Baldi. Big units, six-foot-plus guys who defended the box well. They could play football a bit too, let's be honest. And it's it's... Martin Lee based it on that, like a 3-5-2 with Pat and the Gat or whoever it may be on the left, sometimes McNamara and things, but it was just fantastic. And the goal itself, Larson, Poacher, when I was listening back to the highlights, the commentator referred to him as a, the Poacher's best or po- Poacher's finest or something. The ball came loose in the box. He swiped it in with his right foot. He missed a few chances that night from what I can gather. A couple past the post and a couple flashed the, past the keeper and things like that. But just to get that win in our first home game, as you said, built that foundation for the years to come into the final in Seville right up until Martin O'Neill left, that kind of legacy, that kind of fortress, the teams were actually afraid to come, because Ross is right, albeit we didn't dominate things, but the physical side of things, I think we did sometimes, and I kind of, Ajax found it out, we imposed ourselves on them, and then you got Lennon, you got, you got Lambert, you got Petrov, and by the way, that's not, Petrov played some fantastic games in Europe, I was looking back, and he was instrumental with the most of them victories, and what a guy, what a player, and it's great to see him recover obviously from his illness and things, and he's in the Celtic Masters team at the minute, but all in all, the, the start off with that win, the build, the, the foundation was fantastic against Porto. It sure was, and we followed it up a week later, Ross, um, with a home tie against Rosenberg, the rearranged tie, which was meant to be the, the opening game of the group. Uh, an early free kick from Alan Thompson gave us a 1-0 uh, advantage, which we held on for the full uh, 90 minutes. So, three games played, six points on the board, top of the group. We're absolutely cruising. <laughs> Aye, that was great. I mean, Alan Thompson's goal that night had shed uh, the one he scored in the UEFA Cup at Anfield. Uh, just played it low, the wall that sort of jumped, but it was actually a poor wall. It went right through it. Um, but, just done what Alan Thompson done. He scored in big games, and again that that night was no different. And again, Celtic didn't get broke down. They kept a clean sheet. They dominated physically. They had a lot of the ball that night. I mean, Rosenberg weren't as good a team as what Porto were. Uh, and uh, I mean, obviously, we're going to touch on probably the the away games, but the the, the fact that night, I think. It made it more disappointing that we lost to them over there, especially the way we performed in Turin. You looked at either one of the, one of the two games going away from home. You, you thought you could at least get a point for that, but I mean, even when it was nine points, we ended up with 
you're looking you're, you're looking to qualify with nine points most most times, and it just never happened for Martin O'Neill. He's very, 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 very unlucky. Exactly. Well, that's the thing, uh, Stephen. You know, as, as I say, after the three games we were top, we, and obviously our, by our performance in Turin, we thought, oh, Champions League, man, this is an absolute model. Um, as Ross alluded to, we were brought back crashing down to earth in uh, spectacular style uh, in the following two games. The, the first one over in, uh, in Portugal, we played Porto uh, in the away leg, and we were 1-0 down within 60 seconds, uh, and um, it could have been a lot more. To be fair. Finished 3-0 to Porto, it could have been any scoreline that night. Um, and just like we said, the home leg sort of became the template for our, our home forum for many years. Uh, that was really the beginning of what became a long, uh, a, a long poor, uh, poor results and poor performances away from home uh, in the Champions League. But um, not only that, but the result that night put us back down to third in the group. Um, so it's going to be more difficult um, to try and qualify for there. But like I say, it, it just became. Usual, uh, the usual story in Europe to come. Yeah, I mean, the, the home form, as we discussed there previously, was fantastic, but Celtic away from home were absolutely shite. And I don't know what it is. It's like a, a, a mental block. It, it is. I mean, you go to like Rosenberg, you get beat. You go to Porto, you get beat. And I think, Ross, you're 100% right when you say you expect at least a point from one of them or a victory even because we play so well in the home leg. We go away from home and we collapse. I don't know what it is. It still kind of continues, although... We have improved in recent years and, and the, the Europa League and things like that, getting results and kind of competing again. But up until then, it was absolutely abysmal. And not to even mention our knockout run at the minute. I think it's like 2004 since the last one, a knockout tie, do you know what I mean? So it's in that way, it even adds up to that. But just to touch upon the Celtic 1-0 game against Rosenberg, I think it, in the commentary I was listening to, Sven Gorn Eriksson was there watching Chris Sutton to get called up, to potentially get called up to the England squad. It baffles me to this day how... He hasn't. He didn't get more caps than he did. I know he discussed it previously that he refused to play in the B team or the C team or something like that. But a guy, he he was brilliant in Europe. There's some of the play he did was fantastic. And then we will go to Porto, as you said, <coughs> we get we get smashed three nil, which is kind of role reversal of what happened in the home leg. It's it must be a confidence issue or just mental fatigue or something. <coughs> the support's not there, but it needed it needed addressed. It still does. It's mad that it's gone on this long. Like to be honest, but and then you go to you go to Rosenberg as well. And, the former Celtic man comes up to haunt us. I know, I know you want to speak about that, but it's just crazy that the way, the, the way form. Yeah, that's it. And the, the, the poor result and poor performance continued into the, the following week, uh, Ross. Um, we lost 2-0 over in Rosenberg. And again, if anything, it was even more sickening than the Porto result because, you know, we all knew that Porto were a right good side. And, you know, Rosenberg are as well, to be fair to them. Um but it was sort of bad. It was two. It could have been three before half time. Big grab. Um, actually saved a penalty, which would have uh, gave Harold uh, that back to Patrick um, that night. But although he came back to haunt us, scored two goals. Uh, that goal against St Johnston in '98 just wipes away any bad memories we have of him, isn't it? He'll always be remembered as the guy that absolutely without question the ten. Aye, aye. I mean, his uh, his time at Celtic. Wasn't he absolutely lettered with goals? He, he had. I'm sure he played a game against Kilmarnock where he scored four, and you thought, right, he's going to kick on for this. <coughs> Excuse me. But it just didn't happen. He, he done all right, but as you say, 
that goal to stop the 10 wipes everything away. Um, but, I mean, touching on that away performance in, in Rosenberg, I, that, that was probably more disappointing because that was the game on paper you looked at where you could maybe get something away from home. But once again, Celtic... I've got a tackle in my throat. <coughs> <coughs> Once again, Celtic. Um, it's like they. It, it, it's no. It's like they forget how to play football because it's. It's not even like they've lost and they've put in a good performance. They're an absolute shambles all over the place. The defence doesn't have a clue what they're doing. They lose an early goal or they lose a goal and they don't recover from it and their heads just go. And they've done that for three or four seasons. They're still doing it at times now. And it it was horrible to watch because you're, you're sitting, you're watching them doing so well on the home legs and playing really well and being successful. And then all of a sudden, a, a flick, yeah, a switch just flicks and they, they just, any confidence, any ability they had just dispersed. It was, it was bizarre to watch, but like tough when you're like such a big Celtic fan you want them to do well what is it though sorry Anthony but what, what is it do you think that causes it because I think you you nailed it there we go away from home we end up an early go down and then we shit ourselves the whole game yeah. and it could be against absolute garbage teams like we got beat by Lincoln fucking Redhams as well let's not uh, forget that yeah. it just seems to be a fucking bad issue that Celtic have at the minute and we can't shake it it's uh, crazy and it's it, they're all different teams, different squads, different players, different managers, but yet that same thing in the back of the head. I don't know if it's because they've seen Celtic down the years doing it, and uh, uh, something subconsciously. I don't know. I, I can't put my finger on it. If I could put my finger on it, I'd be employed by Celtic. But <laughs> well, you never know if we get allowed in with the fan media at uh, any point in the, in the near future, Ross. You might be uh, up front and centre with Ange and tell him what's, uh, what's needing addressed. You never know. Uh-huh. I'm stuttering my way through that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I would be quite starstruck in his presence, I have to oh, say. Yeah, I would, uh, I'd struggle, even I would struggle to get the words out, I think. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> the back of two disappointing results. Uh, left us in third position. The only saving grace was the, um, <coughs> the result um, with, with the Juventus and Porto. It meant Juventus were already through and it meant that Rosenberg were definitely going to finish fourth. So no matter what happened on the final night, we were going to have um, some European football um, to look forward to. And uh, we lined up against Juventus at home on the, the final night hoping to avenge for uh, um, uh, uh, the, the travesty in Turin. And what unfolded, uh, Ross, was a lot of people's when they talk back, you talk about what's our favourite um, Champions League game or favourite game ever at Celtic Park. This one get, always tends to get an honourable mention. It might have been eclipsed now by you know Barcelona uh, and along with others, but you know this one is right up there with, with everybody. It had absolutely everything. Um, but before um, Lubo turned on the show, it's probably, I think it's Lubo's finest hour in a Celtic shirt. And again, yeah, he had plenty of that. I think it was one of my favourite ever performances for Chris Sutton. Just absolutely ragdolled that Juventus defence, uh, the full game. But before we got our shooting boots on, um, we were stunned into silence by an absolutely terrific free kick, for, as I touched on oh. earlier, one of the greatest players ever, Alessandro Del Piero. Uh, dead ball specialist 
absolutely outstanding. Uh, I mean, that free kick, he, he puts it right across the goals. He puts it in the, yep. the corner that you don't expect him. Rob Douglas has got absolutely no chance. Uh, and he, he done that down the years. He, I remember he scored a goal against Rangers in the Champions League. He, he took it for, like, almost sort of out towards the shy line. It was, like, so it was beyond, like, do you know how, like, the edge of the box where the D is? It was further yeah. down towards the byline. And he's curled it right over uh, Andy Gorham's head, God rest his soul. Uh, but, aye, it, he just he just done that time and time again. And, I mean, Del Piero was one of my favourite players growing up, and it was great to see him, like, <laughs> no turning on the style, if you like, against Celtic and putting them with the sword. But, I mean, eventually we won that game, so it was good. But you could appreciate... Like just brilliance, and that goal was sheer class. It was, it really was. Maybe only um, surpassed by uh, Naka's uh, dead ball speciality <laughs> um, a few years later against Man United. Um, but of course, that'll all come in a future episode, of course. But uh, sticking to the, the here and now, Stephen, as I say, 1 0 down, but it's disappointing. <laughs> but uh, just like the, 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 the current team that never stops. Martin's boys never gave up and we turned the tie around before half time. Uh, as I say, Maravchik just having the game of his life twisted and turned uh, Juventus midfield inside out, flung it across. Josval Harn was on the end of it and it was level pegging. And then right on half time, we did what, um, what we can only be described as sorcery. These days, we scored direct for a corner kick. Um, Chris Sutton <laughs> rising yeah. above everybody else, just like he had done in Amsterdam, with a bullet to a header. Um, into the bottom corner and suddenly we were finding ourselves 2-1 up against uh, one of the biggest clubs from Italy uh, what a feeling I remember I actually do remember watching this game on the ground at Down Milton Nose House and it was just fantastic and as I said here before when you, that lineups come out and the Champions League theme music and we had an intro there it just brings this kind of sense of just emotion to you like it's it's absolutely incredible to watch and witness that game and in terms of what you said there Del Piero's free kick was incredible like let's be honest he was an absolute magician from dead balls and again a fantastic striker him and Trezeguet were brilliant together Trezeguet scored twice obviously in this game but I mean yeah. Phil Heron what, one thing that you notice from like there's a type of trend with these goals is height it's power it's physicality Phil Heron coming in scoring a goal for Mirazovic and what annoyed me the commentator kept getting Mirazovic fucking Higgs name wrong Coming from me, like, but it just annoyed me here. And that. It was like he, he kept calling him, he kept calling him Mo Cheek or something or something like that. But he was incredible, thirty three or whatever, thirty four or something. He just the way he took balls in and he could turn players on the sixpence. Just an incredible player. And then Sutton, as you said, does brilliant at the fans. Bang, header from a corner kick. As you said, Selig scoring from a corner kick now from direct headers, like nine times out of ten, not going to happen. Like, but back then it was a, a thing that happened on, on a daily occurrence and. After that, the crowd get the top, the atmosphere, and that's why we're well renowned as the best supporters in the world and the best atmosphere in the world. I mean, every kind of fan poll or from all around the world picks us, picks Celtic Park as that. And again, it's not something they want us to be clinging on to. It's like, oh, this player said he he would play at Celtic. I want us to build a legacy in Europe. I want us to compete. And back then, by all counts, we competed, and that was the the best thing for me. Instead of just going to make up the numbers. Absolutely. It was a, a, a special, special night to say the least. Uh, so half time, Ross, 2-1. Uh, we're thinking, you know, we've maybe got the, the better of them here. But uh, David Trezeguet then turned on the style, uh, got the equaliser early in the second half, an absolute rocket into the bottom corner. Um, just like the first goal went in the top corner, Rob Douglas had absolutely no chance whatsoever. 
But then, perhaps a little bit of justice, we got a dodgy. Not dodgy is perhaps the wrong word. A soft penalty in our favour. I mean, you know, you know, unbelievable. Pod the front page, um, but uh, which was Julie and Cooley put put away by Henrik to put us three two ahead, and then possibly the greatest Champions League goal Celtic ever scored. Uh, yep. Came five minutes later. A ball was headed away from a free kick right into the path of Chris Sutton, who, you know, nearly took the net off, didn't he? <laughs> it was a absolutely wonderful goal. Uh, I mean, if Ronaldo or Messi or somebody scores that, they're talking about it. It's in the, the opening credits for a, a, like a Champions League programme. They've talked about it for years. It was right up there. It was an absolutely tremendous goal. And a goal well worthy winning what was a absolutely tremendous match and like you said, one of the best Champions League nights at Parkhead, if not the best that we've had. Uh, aye, but fabulous goal. And I, I think even the way Chris Sutton runs away and celebrates, I think even he was surprised that he scored that goal. He wasn't renowned <laughs> for that. He, he was like like you've said, most of his goals well, I mean, I still am a bit of a disservice saying most of his goals were like powerful headed goals bullying the defence because, I mean, he scored that chip against Rangers and stuff like that. So yep. he did have that sort of deafness in his locker, that, that bit of class, but it wasn't, it didn't always come to the fore because that wasn't essentially his game. But aye, it was a, a beautiful goal, a tremendous goal and a tremendous night. But it, it was tinged with a little bit of sadness that we didn't actually. It, it wasn't going to let us get get in that second place and get into the knockout stages. But great night nonetheless. Well, that that was what was so gutting about it, Ross, because at, at that point <coughs> when we went four two ahead, the way that the result was going uh, over uh, between Porto and Rosenberg, because I always remember Billy McNeil was um, was commenta- co-commentating that night with Archie McPherson on STV. The permutation was that we, it was only a brief, it was five minutes um, or something like that, but there was a point where we were actually going through in second place. And um, Archie, it was, wasn't long after Chris Sutton's goal, and Archie McPherson says, Oh, do, you know, do, do we think Celtic can hold on here, Billy? And he, and he just, Billy just responded, with, Oh, please God. You know, there was no sense of professionalism or anything. He just yeah, went, that all went right out the window, and he was like, just back to being a, an ordinary fan. If, if Billy McNeil can ever be ordinary, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he was, uh, you know, it just went right out the window and he was just one of us and just wanted us to get through. But needless to say, I think Porto scored quite quickly uh, afterwards and, you know, we, it never, we never got back into that second place since. And Trezeguet made it even nervy uh, at Celtic Park as well. Um, it, was a, it was a really scrappy goal. I mean, he took it well, don't get me wrong, but we had two or three chances to clear it and, uh, and we failed to do so. And uh, he put it into the net, um, Stephen. But I, a lot of people also forget Juventus actually had the ball in the back of the net in like the ninety with the last kick of the ball, the ninety fourth minute. Um, but I got chopped off because the ref had blown for full time. Um, <laughs> so at one point you're in that high of one and four two, um, and you thought, oh god, are they going to they're going to rob us off it and have it four four? But no, we we got away with it with the four three win. Um, but like you say, Ross, it, it wasn't to be. And uh, so, Stephen, our final group standings um, after the six games in the group, uh, Juventus went top with 11 points, Porto 10, uh, Rosenberg finished fourth with four points, we finished third with nine. Uh, 
And to the best of my knowledge, and, and you know, it's just typical luck for Celtic in Europe. I think Celtic became the first team in yep. the group stage to accumulate nine points and not qualify. I mean, talk about bad luck. Ah, uh, bad luck. Rob of the green. We'll never get it in Europe. I think we finished their last European League campaign on nine points as well and didn't get through. So it just it happens that way. Do you know what I mean? Celtic played amazingly well. Yes, we discussed the away form. And one thing I get the feeling from from Anne's post Calder's team is we're, we're, go- we're going there to compete like Martin O'Leary did. We'll give a fist of it. We'll try our best. We'll go in. We'll battle. We'll score plenty of goals, I do think, as well. Let's be honest with the players we have at the moment. But going back to that Celtic Juventus game, as you said, Trezor Gay got that third goal from a bit of scrappy play, kind of rebounded three or four times before he put it in the bottom bottom left corner, I think it was. But again, <coughs> a, a smooth operator. And the fact, as you said there, that the goal at uh, after full time, you're kind of squeaky bum time at that moment, thinking, what's going on here? But the finish of nine points in their first Champions League campaign, winning all the home games, unlucky in the way games, obviously, but it was just incredible. It was an incredible thing. And then sitting there with my family watching it too, it brings back just their memories again and living in that moment. And again, we're going to witness that this season. There'll be new supporters coming up, young kids. We'll be talking about this being Celtic's first Champions League campaign they can remember in 10 or 12 years' time. So it's great to see. It's a club and it's Celtic Football Club and I love, it being, love them being in the Champions League. Absolutely. And uh, so our reward for finishing third, Ross, um, because, but you know, back then there was still two group stages, so it wasn't European football post-Christmas um, because the, the second group phase of the Champions League kicked off pre-Christmas, so our reward for it was dropping down into the UEFA Cup. And uh, we hope the gods might give us a wee favourable draw and help us compete um, after Christmas. But there we were, paired against Valencia, who'd been in the Champions League final for the previous two seasons. So uh, <laughs> our luck was really with us that year, wasn't it? Um, but we, Big Rab Douglas had the game of his life uh, in the first leg uh, over there and uh, kept the score line down. Um, he had no chance with the goal. Um, they scored a uh, goal from uh, Vicente um, with 12 minutes to go uh, to take the, the tie 1-0. We had to, Chris Sutton couldn't um, be involved in the match. He had to fly home at late notice. Um, news that his, his son had taken ill. Um, thankfully, everything was all right in the end. But um, so we got away from that. It was probably one of our better performances, albeit a defensive one in Europe. Um, and then we had the return leg at Celtic Park. And again, for a lot of people, this is right up there in terms of atmosphere as well. It was uh, it was a brilliant game. That was a, another game I was at. That I got to quite a, a few of the, the home European games. That's in fact I think the only one I missed was that four three Juventus game, um, sadly. But uh, I Celtic performed really well that night. I'm sure. Did Henrik Larsson get the goal? It was one 0 He did. Yeah, it was. Um, yeah. I, the, 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 picked the ball up from a sort of deflected. Um, <coughs> you know, it was a clearance from a corner. And he sort of just managed to get it through to Henrik, who was out, and it was just right at the edge of the box. And he curled it low into the far corner. I mean, it, it, it was something special. It was actually it was an absolute great goal. Um, and it was when he was going through one of his apparent goal-scoring droughts, you know, given that it had been all of two games since he'd last uh, found the net, you know, crisis. Um, uh, much to the delight of uh, the boys at the Daily Record. Um, but yeah, that's just you know typical of the nonsense uh, that the guys printed um, on a daily basis regarding them. Um, but it was a, a game where it was almost rules reverse. Celtic really took the game to Valencia that night, and it was the heroic say Canizares in the Valencia goal that um, stopped us completely turning the tie on its head. Aye, are you, are you talking to me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> aye, yeah, that, like you say, they performed really well and Celtic pretty much dominated the match against a team that, like you alluded to, had competed in the two previous Champions League finals. Uh, and they, they took the game, the game to them all night. It went to extra time. Obviously, they'd won 1 0 over there. So it was one each. And then it goes to penalties. Uh, and was it Valharan? I'm sure Valharan missed that night. But he had to. Did he, am I right in saying he had to retake it? Yep. Yeah, yeah that, that's right. Did, yeah. He, did he miss? Did he score the first one? Or? No, no, he, 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 ah, he, he missed one, got told to retake it, and he shot in the the other corner, and it got saved again. Canazares really? guessed right both times. Ah, it was just a, a disappointing in the end, but they a, again, they gave a really good account of themselves against, a, at the time, a top European team, a very, very good European team. And a, in the end, the campaign, we went out, but... It, there was a sense of pride at the end of it, the way we performed. Again, you didn't expect Celtic to do as well as what they did. They go out of the, the group, obviously. and But for Amoruso cheating, I think we maybe qualify for the group. Then we only get nine points. And like you said, the first team not to qualify with nine points. Again, it, it, it's... I'm not comparing Celtic to Scotland, but they go out in a similar way to how Scotland sometimes go out in groups and uh, tournaments gone by. It's just sort of at times you feel like it's the Celtic way they put us through the mill, through the ringer. Uh, but I again at, at the end of it, it was pride, and you you believed then that if you didn't believe it after after the Ajax away tie. You certainly believed that we were back on the European stage uh, after that campaign. Yeah, uh, certainly were, uh, Stephen. Yeah, as I say, um, coming to yourself, it was it finished in five four on pen. I wonder what odds you would have ever got on the uh, big rab saving two penalties in the first five. Um, <laughs> but it, it went to sudden death. We lost five four. Um, as I say, it wasn't just Jos Valham that missed. Um, of all people, Henrik uh, missed his penalty as well. Uh, as did Stylian Petrov and uh, I think in an alternate multiverse the ball still to land um, it wasn't Stan's uh, he had a fantastic tournament don't get me wrong but it was uh, Roberto Baggio-esque shall we say uh, when he tried to t- take the penalty that night but like you say as, as Ross alluded to it was just um, huge pride from our debut season in the in the Champions League and we gave a good account of ourselves in the UEFA Cup tie as well didn't we? I think what it does, it builds that confidence. As, as you said, like Ross, they, they competed, Valencia competed in European finals two years previous to that. We're there, we're competing, we're dominating the game against them. And their keeper, Canazares, I was going to ask you his name because I used to think he was an absolute world class goalkeeper. He was fantastic. Yeah, the and, the blonde hair as well. He looked yeah, a bit the, like yes, the blonde hair, in the yeah. Crystal Palace yeah. owner. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's these games that build that confidence going into future campaigns and we did compete we were there we didn't make up the numbers we had some great results and Ivan Maruso obviously didn't do his usual shite and cheat and you referred to him <laughs> as cheating whatever but could have got through we could have got the rub of the green but we didn't the players did well you have to think you, you mentioned Rob Douglas we didn't have any ditzy glamour names maybe apart from Larson but everyone else was just a, a player we have that Martin Lee moulded into these fantastic footballers for us a gap for 50 grand Padded didn't get a look in before he was playing the NFL here and me, I'll be go through them all. They all played fantastically well. We give a good account of ourselves, and most importantly, 
we were back in the European stage. We have one authentic star above our crest, which deserves to be there. And which is for now me, fucking silver. <laughs> which, which, <laughs> which, which there's Ingrosco, it's black on this one. I'm like, I know. just stick with gold, man. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, I always which, which um, say as well that, um, you, you know, when, when the team's competing in the Champions League, you obviously, well, next season, Madrid are going to have 14, the, the, the little badge on the side, they'll have 14, Liverpool have six, ACA have seven. It, Frustrates me why we never wear one way, just the one above it. So, uh, uh, the yeah. whole point is that you know it's it's like a well, it's like a Super Bowl ring, really, isn't it? It's like if you've if yeah. you've won it, you should be flaunting it at every given opportunity. But whether you have to win it multiple times to qualify for that, I'm I'm, I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, it was definitely like you say, Stephen and, and Ross. It was just great being back. You know, two years previously, um, or just even a year and a half previously, we were getting. Knocked out the Scottish Cup by, um, by Inverness, and you know the place was in the absolute doldrums. And um, what Martin O'Neill did to transform that club, I think it's still being felt today. It's why he's still yep. probably my favourite of my generation. In times, I think Martin still just eclipses everybody else. I just I, I adore him. Um, everyone about him when he comes back for his guest slots on Sky and stuff, you could just sit and listen to him all day. Um, he's, he's it's the fact as well that he's funny. He can he's put just people, absolutely can... brilliant. He could put so people in their place. Remember that famous clip with um Cannavaro and another player, and he was they were talking, and he, he was like, "If you've won Champions League <laughs> and all that, it's he's just he's yeah, fantastic. Yeah. His, his banter, he's witty, and the time when Celtic were lifting the trophy in presentation day, Postecoglou walks over behind him, puts his arm around him like they were best buddies, and I think that's why we I think we're banning the Postecoglou because he reminds us of Martin in a way. Obviously, t- two different styles, but they're there for the club. They want the club to do well. They're not bullshitting. They're not telling us lies. They're forward-thinking managers. And Martin O'Neill built that, as you said, that kind of base for future European competitions to come. And what a manager he was. Absolutely. I'll second that. I shall second by, that. And, um, by the way, Anthony... Sorry, you, Ross, on you go. Sorry, I was just going to say, you sort of alluded to the fact that Celtic were getting knocked out the Scottish Cup of uh, Inverness a year mm-hmm. and a half uh, before that. Uh, and... Only, only last, not last season. Sorry, the season before, uh, we were getting knocked out the cup off another Highland team, uh, Ross County. Uh, so hopefully, if it goes the same way, we're in for a hell of a ride uh, in the, the group stage campaign this year. No, uh, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely buying on the money. I mean, that that day from we lost the county, it's the day that when we look back, that's you know we love them to bits. That's probably when Lenny should have either walked or, or been removed that day. The season was still probably still salvageable at that point. Um, but alas, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. And like you say, as we've discussed um, plenty, if we'd known then what, now, what, we, what we knew then, it, was a, it would definitely would have, would have taken it because last season, um, the comeback, everyone loves a good comeback story. Uh, it was just incredible last year. And hopefully, like you say, Ross, we're going to be in for some quite similar in this year's tournament. But uh, just to kind of wrap things up, boys, as I say, the following season um, is going to be an episode all on its own because although it wasn't a Champions League season, unfortunately, thanks mm-hmm. to FC Basel, uh, I think we all know what happened after that. But that is for a whole nother series. Um, as I say, we're going to be just going through. We've got 10 uh, seasons in the Champions League to look back on, um, including uh, today's one. We're not going to be 
too rigid with the schedule. Um, we certainly can't do one next Sunday, Ross, because uh, me and you are away getting melted at Jerry Cinnamon. Um, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whenever there's going to be a few years available, we can we can go back along memory lane and look back at our um, times in the Champions League throughout the season. It might even be once this year's tournament's underway, we'll still be doing these. But we'll hopefully get all 10 seasons that'll be wrapped up by, by Christmas time or, or something like that. But uh, next season that we were in, uh, that will come up and we'll let you know when it's going to be on was uh, 2003-04 um, what turned out to be Henry's final season and uh, yeah some great memories uh, from that to, to look forward to as well um, but I think um, if I'm remembering correctly it's your you two guys and Franco that are back on tomorrow night with the regular show looking back on yeah. the result last night and um, looking ahead all the latest transfer news etc yep me, Ross and Franny will be on 8 o'clock live on YouTube. And I can just say, there has been some interaction in the comments today, but obviously Sunday people are probably still melted and hungover and in bed, but there'll be loads of people catching up. It's been a fantastic show. And listen from the start, it's been really good. The intro as well, the chat's been amazing. Anthony, cracking job, buddy. Thanks, mate. Would you say, Ross, it was a fantastic intro and then it went all downhill for there? <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> no, it was a good show. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's uh, it's nice to like just look back over old games. A wee bit of nostalgia uh, is is always good for the soul. Absolutely, yep. and uh, as I say, guys, uh, thanks again for for coming on today, and thanks to everyone. Um, of our 1,000 subscribers now and rising uh, who are tuning in today, we totally um, accept that, you know, it's an absolute scorcher out there today and, uh, you know, it's everyone will be wanting to go out and catch some rays or maybe you're recovering for catching the rays yesterday or maybe you're one of the cool young cats and you're away off to see Lewis Capaldi at Transmit the night. But, you know, whatever you're up to, um, have a great day. But I hope whoever, everyone that's been tuning in live has enjoyed it uh, and enjoyed the, the episode and uh, come back in again Tomorrow night, Monday night, 8pm usual time uh, with the rest of the boys and they'll be discussing all the latest news. But until then, I shall leave you to sign off, Stephen, with our usual trademark. And thanks again, guys. Cheers. Tell everyone who was watching, stay well and keep safe. Hail, hail. <laughs>